Hey guys, welcome back to Block Channel. We're back for episode 80. Um, we've made it all the way up here to the top. Um, getting close to 100 episodes. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, I know these latest episodes have been slow uh, in between them and the intervals. So I hope we'll, and the cadence will speed up, but it's, it all comes down to scheduling. Everyone's just so busy these days. And I want to make sure that I curate and have very like high quality conversations for everyone. So, of course, today is not going to be any different. Um, and, but before we get into that, um, I'm back with uh, Dr. Corey Petty um, for uh, episode 80. Uh, Dr. Corey Petty, tell me how you've been, buddy. It's been a while. It has been a while, and I have been great. Been a, it's been an odd couple months that things keep moving in the right direction, and I've been looking forward to this episode for quite a while, even though we've gone through ups and downs, I'm trying to get it scheduled. So happy we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, of course. And so, of course, uh, the person we're having on today is someone that's um, been helping me over the past few years. I've known him since like 2015 at one of my first jobs when I moved here to California. Um, and he started as first a mentor for me. And now it's sort of flip-flops back and forth, I guess, depending on the day on who's mentoring who. Um, but he's one of my long time, like when I consider one of my best friends too, um, Alex Smith. Um, and, uh, he's, uh, going to be here today to talk about a handy host, uh, which is a project, which is sort of like a control panel for kind of like, uh, managing the different assets that are relevant to the decentralized web and that uh, associated stack that's slowly emerging. Um, and how we sort of built that to ab abstract away some complexity to bring on more users into this space uh, so the, those resources can like grow and proliferate. Um, so before we get on to the weeds of all the goodness of um, the, that project, um, we, uh, Alex, uh, how are you doing? And, and tell us how it is you came to uh, have a conversation with us today. Cool. Yeah. Great to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, just, you know, trying to stay above water at all times. It's nonstop juggling, but you know, it's everybody's uh, game lately. Um, so yeah, kind of, you know, how I got into crypto, how I got here. Um, it's always been intriguing to me. Um, you know, everybody was always telling me how I should get into this stuff years ago. I mean, since, since the beginning, um, you know, and even, you know, I was at NASA at the time, Oh man, long, long ago. I spent a handful of years at uh, Jet Propulsion Lab um, doing lots of experimental web stuff at that point. It was all before, you know, web was cool. So I'd get laughed out of meetings a lot. Uh, eventually they came to see web was awesome. And, uh, you know, playing around a lot with uh, general purpose GPU computing before that was cool too. Um, and especially my niche was like in the browser. I'm like this JavaScript kind of geek. Um, so, you know, fast forward a couple of few years later, um, you know, you, you'd blown up by then, Stephen. And you know, I remember reading an article about you in LinkedIn and like, oh, holy shit, I know this guy, man. And wow, I can't believe you <laughs> made it. This is cool. Um, so, yeah, we got, got back in touch. And, uh, you know, it was funny because I'm like mining at the time. Um, you know, I'd set up some rigs like this is right before crypto winter. So I'm kicking myself. I just blown all this money. And now, like, you know, everything's in the dirt. Um, but at the same time, I was uh, writing all these patents for uh, for my uh, WebGL uh, general purpose GPU computing, you know, kind of similarity matrix calculation stuff, right? And I needed to learn OpenCL at like an expert level. 
um, so I could benchmark like what I'm doing versus like classical C, OpenCL. And the, you know, the best way I could think of learning OpenCL at the fastest rates was by writing minors. So, you know, fate, fate had it enough. It put us together and you're like, hey, I need somebody to write a minor for this handshake project. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I got to like learn, learn some OpenCL chops and learn how to write really fast OpenCL so I can make sure this patent's uh, super. So yeah, that was like, you know, how I, how I kind of got here, you know, the rest has just been like a super fun adventure along the way, um, you know, growing up in, in kind of uh, the handshake ecosystem, getting the ins there. And then now with HandyHost, throwing another like three, four protocols on top of that and just kind of immersing myself. Whoo, yeah. It's really impressive. <laughs> I always, <clears throat> I always get, a, I always get a kick out of Alex. I tell a good story. He's um, comes from, comes from a very interesting background too. Um, I always like to tell people how you like you studied library science and now you're like now you're here. <laughs> so that was like it was quite an advance. Uh, so in in relation to Handy Host, um, let's talk a little bit about your initial motivations yourself for um, kind of wanting to like um, like build that. So you know we were you know we helped launch the the handshake chain. You know you had built the the miner, um, Handy Miner, uh, and you know we were there like on day one mining the first blocks. And after you know Handshake was launched, we were like, okay, well we've got this namespace protocol, um, which is great. Um, but there's all these other aspects of like creating this like real, you know, decentralized world computer, um, where in a lot of ways, I like to think of like ETH as a very, you know, efficient uh, CPU, you know, kind of in the grander schemes of if you're trying to create, uh, you know, a digital computer out of these different uh, uh, intermingled like decentralized protocols, like what, what would that look like? What would that stack look like as you're sort of like building this, like the digital thing piece by piece? Um, and so, of course, obviously, you need something for storage, you need something to handle, like, you know, your networking, your bandwidth, um, you need something to handle, you know, compute, even like on a larger scale, i.e. like, you know, your GPU, you know, if you have a CPU, either you have like some integrated graphics component there with, on that's on the chip, um, or you have like a separate like discrete like GPU. So you need something that's going to be able to scale, you know, based on some like larger jobs and things of that nature. Um, and so, like, there was a there was a few protocols that came to mind, and um, and and that was a cache uh, for the compute, SIA for the storage, and DVPN for the bandwidth. Um, and so then, you know, Alex and all of us sort of you know got together and like what 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 would be important there, and I'll, I'll let uh, I'll let Alex take over kind of what he you know what went through his mind as he was like building things and like putting things together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's kind of like this vision piece too. Um, you know, I'm in AWS all the time uh, during my nine to five. I mean, we're, we're a huge customer of theirs. So like, I'm, you know, super familiar with, uh, with that environment and all the various components. And I saw so much parallelism and exciting parallelism with all these projects between SIA, like your S3 storage, a cache, like your EC2 for your servers, and then DVPN as well, like a secure way to tie things together. And DVPN resolves handshake names under the scenes. So you kind of have this like opportunity for like a private VPN or VPC that's all built on uh, handshake names. And as well, handshake, the obvious being like your Route 53 uh, within AWS. So I saw so much parallelism between these things. 
and at the same time, so much opportunity to decentralize this monolith that AWS is and really give the power to the people to monetize their hardware, their bandwidth, what have you, uh, and, you know, start building like micro data centers and, you know, just uh, kind of like this, this ebb and flow we see historically from mainframe computing to private data centers to the cloud, uh, taking it out a level further from there and saying, let's decentralize the cloud, right? Uh, it's this amazing challenge and opportunity at the same time. So that was kind of like the vision there is like, let's, let's make our own kind of decentralized AWS. Um, and one of the, you know, kind of the core facets of that that we discovered through HandyMiner was that, you know, not everybody is like a, a dev, not everybody is like, you know, comfortable with the command line. So kind of the goal there is like, let's, let's aggregate all these different services together in front of a really slick GUI so that, you know, the, the end user doesn't have to be, you know, a superstar like command line guru to set these things up and to get it going. And so really we just stood up a nice UI that keeps everything alive, makes it easy to set up. I mean, any one of these protocols on its own, when you go through their guide, I mean, even, even as like a, you know, a person who does this stuff all the time, it might take you a full day of work just to like get one of these up and going and in the right ways and securely all these things. So, you know, for us, uh, it was just like going through that, you know, me going through all this pain uh, of setting this up and all the things involved and then just abstracting that away so that behind a GUI, I can just set this up uh, with a few clicks, spin up my SIA, you know, spin up uh, all these things that I have and as well. The Akash, you know, is running behind Kubernetes, which is like your way of managing servers. That is no easy task to say, let's just make this clickable to set this up securely. Like, man, that was that was a challenge. But uh you know, it was it was worth it to go through the pain so that, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, people chime in all the time like, oh, this is so easy to set up. I love this. Thank you so much. And that's that's the big worth for me is just, you know, we're, we're making this easy for people to set up infrastructure. And then as well, you know, this phase one vision of, OK, now we're building out the decentralized cloud. Uh, now we've got all these tools in our toolkits that for the next phase is going to be amazing where, you know, we start with the kind of AWS front end of, oh, I'm going to log in, I'm going to buy some servers, I'm going to, you know, use this storage over here, tie all these things together. And, you know, essentially, we're providing then the client interface versus like the host interface that we're doing now. And that's like, yeah, the grand dream just all kind of coming together for me. Well, this it's something I've run nodes for, I don't know, since early Bitcoin and mining to like, Ethereum to everything that's come out. And like you said, it takes a while to set things up appropriately. And more often than not, the documentation is terrible. So even people who are comfortable with, you know, renting, renting machines, having machines at home, networking them together, setting up, you know, all the, the firewalls and stuff appropriately so that they're, they're safe and secure and all that. It's, it's hard. And, and most of the focus has been, I'm just going to play with this stuff and other people are going to run nodes. And we offload that responsibility to people who know how to do it because it's too hard. And, and also there isn't a lot of intuition on the other parts of the stack for the majority of people in this industry, it's the blockchain. So like they focus on Ethereum or something like that. And they just focus on that one particular thing and it's finance. But in reality, if we think about what the decentralized web is going to be, it's a mixture of a lot of different things coming together such that an individual has full control over their data and finances. And that, that requires storage messaging and some type of execution layer. And so like, I, I love the fact that you have a UI that gives you intuition on how these things work together 
and how to run them on your own because individuals who would like to eventually participate in this who want it to be really decentralized people have to be doing it at home and not just relegating it to someone else to do it for them and and this is this is the this is the, the start of that where you have this intuitive interface where like hey i have a, i have this gui and I want to run this service. I have these available compute resources or whatever cost this much. And when I run them, I, I can see the re revenue I'm generating from them and then how to then reuse that revenue on, in the marketplace that it's relevant. And so like, this is what it means to like contribute to the services that you're using with the resources you have at home and to have some type of interface to set that up so that you're confident that it's run the way it should be. And you're not just fumbling on a command line uh, hoping that your system's up to date and you don't have a massive hole in your network, right? And so, like, kudos for doing that because I haven't been, I haven't seen someone take multiple parts of the stack and put it together in such a way where someone can run all these things together and participate in the networks that they want to participate in. Yeah, man, that's the uh, that's the magic of teamwork. Make the dream work, you know. And, and it, it's so it's so, so it was so great too because like the reason that I think Handy Host. Uh, ended up as good as it did is just because of our different varying like backgrounds, like myself being more of a like generalist, so to speak, um, you know, putting my hands in a lot of different pots at once, given, you know, what I do and like running a fund. And then on top of that, you know, Alex having a just this deep, 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 make you note know, the technical background, but also, like, you know, with like, you know, on the software side, on the web side. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at when in crypto, when we're coming to like, how do we abstract away a lot of this complexity? Well, um, getting, you know, your unique, like, uh, environment set up on your, you know, your end of your computer can be like rather difficult for someone who, you know, don't, does another way around a terminal. But if we can get it at least working in the browser, right, for the most part, uh, for, for a, a grander amount of people, then, you know, that's going to be, you know, a slightly larger pool of people who can become technically proficient enough to not only speak about these things publicly, which will educate another pool of uh, individuals that otherwise wouldn't have heard about these protocols sooner rather than later. Um, but also, like, you know, then allows that to disseminate downward as, as like those skills and, you know, get passed on to more people. So it's, it's, it was also like an effort of like, how do you bring on a group of people that don't necessarily have like this, the deep technical proficient skill that a lot of early crypto adopters have, but they do have like general relative, like IT, you know, expertise, like they've set up their home network before, like maybe they set up a, you know, a raid array for like, you know, a backup of like their, you know, their home archives, um, you know, like, uh, you know, j things like that, you know, like th those sort of like prosumer users, I would say are um, often like, in, in many ways, I think kind of neglected uh, in the crypto space, but they're just, they are so abundant. Uh, and if you can put their skills to work to like, you know, and there's a, there's an incentive for them, you know, right to like run these nodes on these networks. Um, not only from an educational standpoint, but also because they can, they can make money with this hardware that they already usually have, you know, just sitting around their house anyways. As a prosumer enthusiast, like uh, a lot of like us tech nerds, like you got a couple of extra, you know, um, hard hard drives sitting around. You got a couple of extra old computers sitting around. Like, might as well be putting those to work where you can. And, um, you know, miners cost money and GPUs are a lot of times can be difficult to get your hands on, but you can step into Best Buy and buy a couple of extra, you know, external hard drives, right? And like put those to work. So, you know, it's, it's, it really opens up a, a, a new kind of, you know, sector of folks, I think really to hands on to contribute to the space in a way that they couldn't before.
Yeah, I especially love the education part of that too. Like, I mean, you know, like the intimidation I remember when I built my first computer was just massive. But then, you know, at this point, I'm just like, you know, throw all the parts together, but getting people like in, you know, enthusiastic and out of their comfort zone, like everybody should be able to build a computer from scratch, right? It's, it's not rocket science. And like, you know, install Ubuntu or Linux or, you know, just get comfortable with these things. And I think, you know, that's what I love about this is it's a nice little like subtle step in that direction of like getting people to build a computer. And we'll set up, all, you know, we'll do all the really technically complex stuff for you, but you can do the basics and learn a lot from that. And I think that's a way we kind of contribute back into the overall ecosystem as well of just like people learning, you know, kind of more advanced tech skills. I think, you know, overall, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I, I think about the future of if I if I try to extrapolate and like we we've, we've been successful, right? The decentralized web is a thing. That's how the internet is run. People have control over their data, and they 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 participate in a way in which they they choose to not you know relegate the responsibility to someone else to do it for them. And if I think about that, it typically means that we're going to need to have decently strong, uh, consistent compute sources in our home. Right, some type of you know, agent, if you will, or something, right? And in order to get from where we are today, which is moving towards mobile-based uh, kind of high-churn devices with, with like not a lot of strong uptime, to I have my own data machine that manages my things and participates in the services that facilitate me managing those things, I'm going to need a piece of a computer there. In order to get there, we need to have things like this where it gets people excited to buy a machine, put it together, or like you just buy a machine and then load handy host onto it because it facilitates it. And then that gets the brain thinking and excitement and especially if it starts earning money of some sort, then they they participate in something they wouldn't participate beforehand because the concept of like like you said, going from zero to building your computer for the first time is daunting. And that barrier of entry is pretty high. And you have to kind of have a lot of incentive to do so. If the more and more you lower that barrier for people to get their foot in the door, the more likely they participate and the more likely we get to that future where like that's how we're operating. Everyone has their own compute resources that they control their data, their their finances, their funds at home. And and they are thinking about these things as opposed to saying, I don't know, something that's in the cloud somewhere. Like I like I know historically it was important for like just the scalability in the maturation of like where we went from like web one to web two to like now we are web three to like have a lot of stuff moved to cloud infrastructure providers you know throughout the 2000s like it did but like really that's where we went wrong is when we stopped really owning the hardware and uh, you know there's this feedback loop as you were saying like we're, we're going to be where we are now and there's going to be incentives for um, people to run these nodes and things like that but also there's a feedback loop of as these assets grow in value, as these networks proliferate, as there's like this financial upside for these individuals to continuing to run these hardwares, this passive like in, uh, uh, income that they otherwise like wouldn't have had, that's just simply from clicking some buttons, which is ideal. Um, and then now you have it so people can go out and regularly upgrade like their own home storage, regularly upgrade like these devices like for compute and like you know continue to contribute and it's like cyclical, and so like now we have this feedback loop where the D web is continuing to get more efficient and like you know more more powerful, um, and it's just driven by like you know the network of people that have chosen to like opt in and like just like learn the tools of this trade, um, 
Whereas like, you know, otherwise they would just have left all those compute resources just like left uh, idle. Like to add on to that, it's, it's, it's getting people to understand that it's not just GPUs or ASICs. There's a lot that has to, that, that comes into play with the decentralized web. And by integrating a family of protocols in a way to, to participate in all of them, let them understand like, oh, you know, you know, I'm interested in a specific type of mining, so you don't necessarily need GPUs, but hard drives are useful, network bandwidth is useful, things like this. And so that then helps them understand that it, it, they all, it all comes together to participate, to actually build a new internet. It's not just like, I buy miners, I mean, I buy GPUs to mine as one thing, and then other people do stuff on it. Yeah, and there's so much, you know, even on the, you know, the green themes of that, like, you know, that's, that's one of the things I love about all these protocols. There's so much utility in the projects versus just like, you know, I'm, I'm heating, you know, right now I have tons of miners going in the next room. It heats my house in the wintertime. It's great. It's tropical in here. Like, you know, I pay no, no heating bill and I get paid for that. There's utility in that. Right. But otherwise, like, I mean, man, just needlessly wasting energy, not wasting, I mean, hashing, you know, contributing to blockchain. It's not a waste, but there's very little waste when we're, you know, when we're providing utility of like, here's my compute, here's some storage, here's some bandwidth. It's stuff that has monetary value. And we're not just churning hash rate out to churn hash rate out. You know, there's like so much more utility and less waste of energy, I guess, uh, I would say. That's more oh. kids like. I have extra of this, I'll just rent it out. And here's a protocol that allows me to do that. As opposed to like, I mine this, I hoard this thing and I make money off of it. I would be uh, curious just because I know your background um, and like your interest in just like, you know, sustainability and like green related engineering stuff, Alex. So maybe you could just like speak to your vision of like, you know, a self-sustaining like sort of home mining, sort of all in one like because i know you've thought about these types of things and i think i think it'd be interesting if like other people like also heard like uh what you think about that yeah yeah that's yeah interesting man <laughs> yeah just yeah so i started uh i started building solar panels like manufacturing them from the ground up uh maybe like four ish years ago uh just to see if i could at first i mean and you know it's, it's definitely it's fun and easy um you know, it's, it's just a lot of soldering, really. Um, but yeah, so like anybody can build their own solar panels, right? It's, uh, it's, it's not dead simple, it's time consuming, but yeah, it's uh, super fun. So I built, you know, this giant stack of solar panels. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've got just tons and tons of solar power. But, you know, I had this vision at, at first, like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to sell this energy back to the grid, right? <laughs> it's going to make big money. And then uh, they, they changed the laws in the state I live in um, seemingly overnight. Like, of course, like fate stepped in and probably a good way long term. But uh, then it became like you could only use to prove uh, manufacturers and vendors to sell your energy back to the grid. I mean, it, it makes logical sense from a safety perspective. But at the same time, you're making good panels. What does it matter? Uh, so I had to figure out what to do with all this energy uh, from these solar panels that I made at that point. Um, so I was like, okay, yeah, I got all these miners. I'll power my miners with the solar panels, right? Uh, that, that'll work. But then when you do the feasibility on it, it's like, holy crap, I need to fill my garage with batteries. 
Um, you know, I need to pretty much fill up my whole property with solar panels in order to run like three ASICs. And like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'd be making more than I would selling energy back to the grid, but all the waste involved of like having a garage full of batteries and like, you know, all my space taken up with solar it just made zero sense. Uh, so I think that's, you know, it's what I get excited about with with things like having my own data center is that, you know, a lot of these computers use fractions of energy you would to run uh, run GPU rigs or ASICs, right? So I can sustainably run compute with that. And it does generate heat. That's the thing I get excited about is the heat. I mean, I live in, a, in you know, the tundra, basically. So like nine months of the year, I can use this heat to heat things like, you know, whether or not that's my chicken coop, my greenhouse, you name it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of the other thing I got into in, in parallel was growing food um, with fog and this aeroponics concept, like, you know, wrote a patent and everything around, uh, you know, just low cost parts to do this. So my grand vision is like, let's put the food on a blockchain, uh, you know, take out all the, you know, a lot of the manual labor, laborious, hideous stuff out of this and then create, uh, you know, much as we decentralized finance or anything else that we do. Uh, you know, with traditional blockchains and infrastructure, let's decentralize food and food production and make all these nodes that grow food interchangeable so I can sell my produce, I can buy yours, we can swap, whatever that is, and just make the jobs more respectable, people get fair wages and as well like fair fair work that they're doing you know a lot of the grunt work can be automated and give people more purpose in things like agriculture um, so you know you're growing your food you're running a data center that's heating all your stuff when it needs heat um, you know and then all powered by like solar panels which like when you're making them yourself it provides yet another avenue of like you know, you've got people who then are experts at making solar panels, which isn't rocket science. And there's a lot of upcharge there with buying them. So when you're just dealing with raw components, you're saving a ton, you're giving back a ton. And then, it, you know, of course, like, you know, the whole energy market, like you want to just specialize in solar panels. Great. Now we've got electricity. Uh, you know, we've seen it happen already, like people sharing electricity and using blockchains to meter that. Like there's so much opportunity to just decentralize a lot of the traditional infrastructure. I mean, worldwide, but it's especially in the US, like there's so much like pilfering of money by corporate powers that be that just want to take, take, take and just, you know, push everybody else down. I say take the power back to the people and let's uh, let's just decentralize food and grocery and energy production and like give people actual meaning, meaningful futures uh, for once. I think that's that's kind of like my vision of it. But it's like the long project. It's just stuff I tinker with here and there. But like it's starting to kind of come together. It's a it's a really cool time yeah right so it's like it's a natural flow the way i see it it's just like cool first let's get empower people to first with some education on how to run things on their own with what they already have okay and then now as the d-web scales like okay we're well, gonna make your own investments and you're gonna potentially get your own uh you know larger set of um uh, resources in your home and, and, and grow that maybe have a whole room for it and then by that point there's gonna be people that want to scale it up further they're like okay well I want to subsidize the electricity that I'm using here. I'm, I'm now, you know, very aware of how much energy I'm taking from the grid. You know, this stuff's getting pretty costly. And then, and then they're like, well, I'm now going to run some solar panels. And like, well, I've got these solar panels now where I need to a way to store my extra energy. Now I've got some batteries, right? And then, so like over time, uh, you know, we're going to get to the point where people are like, have all this extra stuff. And they're like, well, now I'm going to use it to, you know, again, like Alex was saying, like heat up my, uh, like my greenhouse and et cetera and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and so it's like, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, 
that if we can continue with the incentive trending towards that direction, people will just naturally want to just be self-sustaining because the tools are already there and the uh, you know digital economy is already kind of around it. So everyone's homes become this sort of like combination hybrid, like permaculture, like crypto digital battery. Um, and so like, you know, the net, uh, you know, positive amount of, you know, contributions that the average person then makes, like from their very existence is now like regenerative based on instead of being like extractive um, or or rather even the opposite or even in other modes in other ways. Uh, also, like it's not, not even resilient, like, right, you know, resilient is I can like withstand like the impact of like having some like big sudden shift and like say like a, a supply chain and then go back to the norm. Um, but regenerative would mean like I'm going to continue to grow as, you know, N plus one new one of these like sort of no home nodes, so to speak, comes online. Then now the, the network is not only resilient and fault tolerant, um, but it can continue to add more capacity to itself over time, making it regenerative. Right. So you, with these incentives in place, like we eventually will, that will be the norm. Uh, and so it might, it, it, so even when something is like a candy host, you're like, how does that? close to this is like that's this is like the starting point like just abstracting away the complexity of using these protocols is like kind of the first step and uh, in a lot of ways a lot of times I scratched my head because I was just like I'm, I'm surprised it was us that did it um because you know so many years have gone by and I, I think a lot of people have tried to do this in different ways with a lot of like the ethereum different protocols um for sure um, especially with like, you know, status and things like that. Like everyone had these sort of like all in one super apps, like access to stuff with like Web3. Um, but that's more so just like, you know, Ethereum and like those smart contracts, like EVM, you know, related um, projects. Um, and so for this as a way to like really bridge these different disparate, um, potentially interoperable protocols, right? Like SIA or SIA, which, whichever is the correct term here. <laughs> um, Who knows? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really don't know. I really have to find out. Uh, and then a cash, uh, and then you know DVPN. Like that's 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 the start. Um, and so like uh, I, I, and that could be difficult because you know of course um, a cash and DVPN like those are both like Cosmos based. So you know relatively like working with those two like from an API perspective and like getting things set up. Those are those are mostly just, you know the same. Um, just with different quirks based on the different protocols um, themselves on their semantic functionality. But then you have something like SIA, which has been around for quite a few years, uh, which, you know, isn't like something like Filecoin, like IP, IPFS, or not, they don't have like multi-million dollar, you know, budgets for like their developer experience, you know, for their different documentation and stuff like that. And it's, it might not be that ideal or easy um, to get this stuff set up. And then, so when you get into the weeds of, uh, of doing that, you're like, oh, wow, like this is, no one was ever really going to do the lift of like kind of making this easy to talk to these other two protocols, which are, you know, on the Cosmos side, like kind of more on the more modern stack, like infrastructure, but uh, SIA itself is still, you know, very useful um, given what it does for like decentralized storage. It was just like kind of the plug and play wasn't so easy. Right. And so like, I, I like to think of it as like, you know, kind of creating that sort of USB-C sort of, you know, all-in-one universal interface so that people can sort of plug into these things. Um, and now that we have that, I think uh, the space will accelerate more and the hopes is that other people will copy, mimic this, fork this, make assistance to the project uh, in such a way that we can continue to, you know, plug in other protocols as time goes on. Yeah, I see it as a, 
uh, like, I don't know, the, the DeFi market has started to show people the concept of, I earn this and I exchange it for whatever I want because there's an open marketplace that dictates price that I don't have to worry about. So the, like you, you, you no longer have this issue of a coincidence of wants in a bartering system. You use the resources you have to earn um, in whatever asset that gains you, and then you trade it for whatever you want, regardless of whether or not that person wants what you have. Because you can, there's, there's an open marketplace for a trading pair of anything. And you expand past financial assets into physical resources, then you, you really enter this place where like, whatever your current specific condition is, you optimize your own personal resources to gain some asset. And now we've expanded that into like a, a, the digital world. I got a bunch of hard drives. I can do something with those to earn an asset with those hard drives and then exchange it for anything I want. And I don't have to care whether or not those things want it. And so when you build kind of families of protocols that allow you to do that and keep adding to it, it gives people the freedom to kind of live the way they, they, that best suits them and pay for whatever they need in the process of optimizing those resources. So you're just bringing in multiple, multiple different types of resources and equitably sharing them across like these, these, like these, these digital marketplaces. And I think that's really interesting. And what you said, Alex, was even more interesting is when you start to like take the exhaust of some of the production and creating these assets. So for instance, your miners create heat, you're then reusing that heat to then uh, create microenvironments for growing food. That then, and then maybe even keeping track of that and adjusting accordingly such that you're optimizing for the food and not so much for the heat. And I think that that world is even cooler where people's houses may be passively earning the money just to heat their, just to heat their homes. So they need the heat. So they have to pay for it somehow. Well, if we can make it in such a way that the process of creating the heat actually earns them money or obfuscates the need for them to work to pay for it, then they get to focus more time on spending something that they, spending time that they care about with their family or some hobby, right? And like the more we do this type of thing, the more we create a society where people are spending time doing things they want to do and not things they have to do. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking we end up like in the future with some sort of like omni exchange where it's just like I can trade like compute resources like bandwidth or something for like you know local produce or something like that like uh, like up the street like with some other like digital cooperative that's also has some tokenized like DAO token and there's just like this exchange where I can you know send some uh yeah, a tokenized derivative of you know a future of you know, uh, call for my compute resources or et cetera. And then someone says, okay, cool. Now I can like buy this now, like why it's cheap than this person. And I can do, you know, use this for like whatever I want to here. And then I can then use my own home produce, what's excess left over at the end of harvest season to pay this, you know, going forward. Like I would like to get to that, which sounds crazy, but it's very, it's very possible for us to get there. And, um, anything that is human, uh, labor, intensive whether it's knowledge work or even if it's physical labor there's no reason why that cannot be all uh, mirrored into like a digital substrate and creating some sort of like digital derivatives for like those works um, because at the end of the day we're trying to get all the value um, into this you know ecosystem um, and it's not out of a matter of greed it's a matter of like resiliency um, because like the, just to limit those types of things to, you know, the regulatory environment or the pace of innovation of the physical world, 
by bridging those different you know economies into this digital world we can we have this whole legion of online global thinkers um you know with a lot of excess time in their hands um given a lot of folks who've made a lot of money in crypto as well um that want to solve a lot of these hard problems um but just need to have those people um affirm themselves and put and take their seat here at the table to like work amongst us and the best way we to do that is to like you know give people incentives um and so i guess i guess what the last thing i'd want to leave off with alex is you know you've worked uh with us and like bridging and working together with all these different protocols and the different uh you know i guess personalities of these different groups too from like all over the world and you know you've had those experiences like what's what's something that you've derived from like all this that like you've like has either really surprised you or has been really important for you to have learned yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, navigating the space was like, yeah, that was like, you know, the biggest challenge, I would say, of like, you know, all the different, you know, kind of personality types within all the projects, you know, you, you know, it's, it's typical engineering culture, luckily, um, you know, there's always the smart guy in the room, the kind of chess master type, and, you know, just how to how to interact with them. And, you know, everybody's got their own, uh, you know, yeah, their own kind of type of person they are. So yeah, just learning to interact more with like, a lot of the people to uh, to get knowledge and insights and you know work together all that um, that's been like the biggest I mean not necessarily a challenge I guess kind of a hurdle or you know learning I guess uh, how to work with people in the crypto space has been like amazing um, but yeah I think you know the biggest biggest rewarding takeaway is just like yeah I mean all the things we've pretty much been talking about of like you know we can create financial freedom for everybody um, you know and really like eliminate all this layer of kind of like management of anything that's in many cases just automatable with with blockchain alone um, you know and and then just like you know it, yeah it's just like creates freedom for everybody um, you know and gives them freedom of time but as well like monetizing everything in a way that's fair um, for everybody so that you know everybody's happy I mean I think that's that's kind of the dream and it's like you know things that I you know at first I was just all about mining 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 you know and uh, and you know just very like you know very very like lenses on but then you know I realized at some point that like you know, the, the blockchain, the people, everything, it's like, that's the vision, like, you know, that is like, you know, taking what's been successful for me and saying, oh, let's make this generic and apply it to everybody, you know, that, that we can, we can free everybody in a way from all these, uh, you know, the kind of routines that, that keep us down and in our place fighting for crumbs, like, you know, we all just like we can make cookies for everybody. No more crumbs, you know. Uh, and yeah, I think that's the that's the future that that I see of just you know all these technologies that that I've come across in the way. Beautifully said, Alex. I agree with you. The idea is to like yeah, stop 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 just picking up crumbs. Let's start making cookies. And what better time than right now for Christmas? Because Christmas cookies are the best, uh, and those are always filled with the most amount of love. Um, so yeah, so so thank you, uh, Alex, for uh, coming on the show and like ha talking about the project. This was totally like a self opportunity, of course, to like you know promote a project that I had like you know helped assist with you know on my own show. Um, but hey, when you when you when you've got it, you use it, right? Um, but so so thanks again, Alex, for coming on and and sharing us with this. And uh, as we move forward in the future, and we decentralize groceries, um, we'll have, we'll have you back on and talk about how we got there. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, it's been great being here.
Okay, if I've learned one thing today, it's that when the apocalypse happens, I'm coming to Alex's house. <laughs> yeah, so, no, but I, I tell Alex that, that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I tell Alex that. I'm like, the world's ending, I'm going to Alex's house. He's got me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. We'll, we'll have you back soon. All right. Thanks, guys.